Hello everybody and welcome to the Insight Club podcast. I'm your host Robin and today I'm excited to share with you an empowering talk by Dr. Travis Cochran. Dr. Cochran is a proper philosopher and liberal arts enthusiast who helps aspiring scholars both inside and outside of the chiropractic profession to properly pursue the life of an autodidactic, which is a self-taught person. Before opening five chiropractic clinics in the Netherlands and mentoring new graduates on the first three of the seven classical liberal arts, Dr. Cochrane studied nuclear power while serving in the US military. Later, he earned his university bachelor's degree in philosophy with a minor in biology. He's on the board of directors, he's on many boards, uh, of the International Federation of Chiropractic and Organizations, aka the IFCO. He's a board of directors at Axiom Seminars. He's an advisor to the Alliance of Chiropractic and Singapore Board of Directors. Additionally, he's a graduate of the Sherman's Academy of Chiropractic Philosophers, the ACP program, and he donates his time and finances regularly to the colleges of chiropractic. In preparation for this episode, I sat down, I got my pen and paper out, and I used the pause and playback tool to really study and unpack this talk. And I can tell you it's filled with information, understanding, and wisdom. It's really relatable for everyone, regardless of what you do in life. It's got everything to do with everybody and not much to do with chiropractic, although some of the examples he uses have been applied to chiropractic. What's important in this talk is that it encourages you to be critical and to process what you hear before accepting it as the truth, which I would encourage anyone to do when they listen to any talk on any platform. This talk uh, was filmed live and he had access to a whiteboard, which he used occasionally. So I apologise in advance if you find it a bit difficult to follow at times, but if you pay attention, you will understand what he's talking about. Finally, before we get into it, when you get to the end of the episode, you'll hear me talk about what's next in store for the podcast and share some exciting news about who my new co-host is going to be. Right, here we go, Dr. Travis Cochran. Researchers fight about uh, which, what research you should read, right? They cherry pick, well, this one suits my philosophy, this one suits me. I hear political explanations, changes in curriculum, all these things. All, everything's external, but no one's discussing what's going on in the mind of the people recommending these changes or these solutions to why we, why we fight. So, I don't think speaking or writing articles or performing studies, although I like to read studies, I like evidence, I don't think that's the solution that's going to bring us together or unite us. And I'm going to explain why. It's, it's my opinion, and not just mine, but along with many other philosophers. And when I say philosophers, I mean true philosophers, not chi chiropractic philosophers. I, I, I mean like traditional philosophers. And that's what my, by the way, that's what, that's my, what my education is. Just like you, that's what I'm writing, right? So my degree is in philosophy not chiropractic philosophy. It was years later that I ended up in chiropractic school. But other philosophers and scholars would agree with me that thinking and our, our, the quality of our thought is really what defines us and shapes us create, and has given us the world we live in. And one of the best examples, and uh, I hope this isn't an insult to anyone that has studied philosophy, 
but I'm going to really give an elementary explanation of Descartes, right? René Descartes, who I'm sure everyone is a little bit familiar, I think, therefore I am, right? That comes from Descartes. Is everyone familiar with that? You've heard it? Cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am. Does anyone know how he came, how he concluded that, or how he deduced, deduced that statement? Besides you, that's not fair. You've, you've studied philosophy. Okay, I'll make it real simple. What he did is he, he wanted to know what he could be certain of. What can I know for sure? How can I know I'm not being deceived? And what can I build a foundation on that is, like, true? Right? Not just someone's opinion, not what I read, not what I've heard. So what he did, he locked himself in a room, so to speak. And what he did was he went through the catalog of everything in his mind and attempted to doubt everything. He wanted to find anything that he could be 100% certain of. Right? So even, like one of the best examples, 2 plus 2 is 4. He said, well, it's possible that there's a malignant demon that has fooled me, tricked me, and quantities, and arithmetic, whatever, right? This is how hardcore he was. He's like, I can't even trust that. I can trust nothing. And through this experiment of trying to find what he could be certain of, there was one thing he could not deny. No matter how much he tried to doubt, be skeptical, um, question everything, there's one thing he couldn't deny no matter what. He couldn't imagine even a possibility that this could be wrong. And the more he tried to do it, the more he proved it. And that was, he could not doubt that he was thinking. The more he tried to doubt that he is an agent of thinking, the more he expressed that he actually exists, that he is. I think, therefore, I am because I'm thinking. There is an agent of thought. So he knew he existed. That's a pretty fun, so that was the one thing that he could be certain, certain. I think, therefore I am. So if the whole basis of his existence, I am, is because he thinks, well then the quality of who he is and the quality of his life and the quality of his existence is certainly relatable to the quality of his thought. Would you agree? If he's a low-quality thinker, that's a low-quality existence and a low-quality life. If he believes everything he reads, everything he sees on the news, he never questions any of it, is that a high quality of thinking? If you believe everything I say up here, if you believe everything every lecturer says to you, if you believe every study you read, does that make you high quality? That doesn't mean that some of the information you get from lectures, some of the information you may get from me, some of the information you read, it doesn't mean it's not true or valuable. But have you ever questioned how would you know? Right. That's what I want to, to talk about today, if that's okay with you guys. Because I think the quality of our minds and the quality of our thinking is what's going to determine the quality of this profession, which uh, many of you have invested a lot of time, energy, and money into. And if you're really a wise person, you'll understand that this does not just apply to chiropractic, it applies to everything in your life. 
The quality of your thought and the quality of your thinking is where everything stems from. The quality of your fitness, the quality of your diet, the quality of your relationships, where does it start? Doesn't it start with the quality of your thought and the quality of your mind? Or does it start with the quality of your biceps? You know, what does it start with? Everything starts with your mind, every decision you make. Sorry, I have to check my notes because I just wrote all this on the way here. <clears throat> and like I said, I'm not a speaker. I'm very, in fact, I'm very nervous to be up here. I don't like to speak. I like to in small groups, small discussions, or with my team and my coworkers. Although I found this helps. Thanks, Robin. <laughs> Um, so I talked about like the quality of our thinking, right? And so I think every one of you can probably agree with me. Yeah, man, that makes sense. Quality of thinking uh, that determines the quality of our life. So what's holding us back from uh, having optimal quality of thinking? Does anyone have any ideas? Like the biggest barrier? No one's probably going to put their hand up, so I'll answer for you. It would be emotions. Emotions are very strong and powerful, right? And they're a very necessary part of our lives. But we can be fooled by our emotions, especially if we try to determine the truth based on how we feel and not on a systematic, reproducible evaluation of facts. If I gave you two, I don't know, two scientific studies and uh, they contradict one another, how would you determine which one's true based on how they make you feel? What systematic, reproducible, repeatable method would you use to determine and evaluate those to see which one is true, if either of them are? Right? That's another big fallacy. Some people think if you have two opposing views that one of them must be true. When you have two contradictions, when you have a contradiction, one of them or both must be false. Right? They cannot be simultaneously true. That's all that means, right? So how do you guys determine? If you have two contradictory studies, how would you know which one is true? Or two contradictory points of view? Ask one of your instructors and then they'll tell you. Ask your mom and dad. What would, what Just watch it, what you're feeling, which one you feel is. Right. Yeah. That's the answer I always get. That's the most popular answer. You know why that's the most popular answer? Because that's the most popular method. Right? I'll read them both and which one feels right. Is that reproducible? Your feelings could change tomorrow, right? Depending on how many beers you have, they could change in five minutes. Right? So emotions are not reliable. Now, I'm not being dismissive of emotions. If anyone's triggered by that, we can talk about it later. Emotions are indeed important. I'm just saying they are a very poor indicator of truth. Right? So I almost used the F word. Is it okay if I say it? Okay. <clears throat> All right, so that's the most popular method, right? What's interesting is that's also the worst method, right? 
And that should be alarming to everyone, not just chiropractors. Again, think a little more globally outside of this room. The worst indicator of truth, yet the most popularly used, is emotion. This is the, the weakest form of epistemology. Epistemology is the study of knowing what you know. And the reason it is, is because it's not active, it's passive. There's another form of passive epistemology, or coming to know what you know, and that would be observation. We'll talk about that too. Okay. Do you understand what, what I mean by passive and active? Passive means you're just a, a recipient. You're not really processing anything, just data is being downloaded on you. Yeah? That would be observation. I read that study, I believe it. If I tell you I just flew here from Amsterdam on a, on a unicorn, well, now you know that. Don't question me, it's true. So just what you're being told, that's observation. You, you see something visually, audibly, you hear or see something, you take it for truth. Observation is passive. Although that's the beginning to uh, real, real understanding, and we'll talk about that. But I, I hope that, uh, and this is the greatest uh, challenge for everyone, not just chiropractors. Um, determining the difference between feeling and thinking. Feelings are so strong, it's called conviction bias. Feelings are so strong, so strong that we're convinced it must be true. I wouldn't feel this strong if it wasn't true. It must be. That is the greatest and most dangerous bias there is. That is not a way to determine the truth. And I'll talk about how we can determine the truth. Well, that would be a long lecture. I'm just going to introduce it to you, but uh, I'll at least show it to you. <clears throat> you know, when I thought about delivering this, I, I want to I make sure it's in the right order of the information I want to go through, so it's not confusing to you, because uh, I do have a lot to say, and I do have some things I think are great tools that will help you, or at least get you started. So, if thinking is not the best method, because it's passive, or sorry, if emotions and observation isn't the best method, thinking is. And what is thinking? Is there a method that you guys know of that's reproducible? So that we don't have the same answer, right, man? Well, I just feel this stuff, it, was, it feels good, right? Playing with logic? Logic, precisely. And logic is the key in the so this is my favorite topic of discussion that we're going to get into. And that's the first three liberal arts. And the word liberal comes from uh, the root words. It's, its etymology comes from liber and alus, liberal. Liber, that comes from, that means freedom, liberty, right? And that's what you want. You want a mind that's free, not one that's under influence, not one that's being deceived, not one that's being controlled. You want a free mind, a mind free to do what you want, free to process information. Liberal, A-L, alles, that's, uh, that just means of or pertaining to. So the arts of or pertaining to freedom, the liberal arts, the seven classical liberal arts, I'm only going to discuss the first three because that contains logic. And those are grammar, logic, and rhetoric. The 
other four classical liberal arts deal with the quantity, quantity of the environment. It has to do with quantities. The first three, and they must go in this order, same with the quadrivium, but the trivium, or the first three, trivium, the way of three, must go in this order. First, we define our terms. Normally when I say grammar, people think of like where you put the punctuation, but they're specific in general, right? So even defining our terms is a form of grammar. Define your terms. And this is concerned with correctness. If I define this as an apple, that would be incorrect, right? Call this a beer. That's, we all understand what that is. Um, we, understand, we, we correctly identify anger and happiness. We have to correctly define our terms. And when we do, then we can begin to understand them, right? So grammar really has to do with, you can say, uh, actually classically these were called knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. But it was later after like the Dark Ages and Middle Ages, they, they called it grammar, logic, and rhetoric. In more contemporary or millennial terms, I guess you could just say input, processing, and output, if that makes it easier, I don't know, to understand, right? So you could have the best computer in the world, right? It's, it's, a base, it's values based on its processor. What's its processing speed? But without a processor, you can load that thing full of data, and it won't do shit, right? And when I put data into a computer, or when I put data into my mind, or when I'm reading a study, things need to be correctly defined. Right? On a keyboard, when I hit the letter E, it means E. It doesn't mean maybe F, maybe W. Depends on how I feel, man. <laughs> right? So correct, correctly defining our terms. And you hear this all the time, define your terms, right? That's good advice. I would say 80% of most arguments and disputes would end if we defined our terms. Would you guys agree? I mean, it's, it's worthless to go on here and have a discussion. If you think this is an apple and I think it's a beer and we're talking about how good is it for our health, we're going to have two different opinions. We're just shouting at each other. But if we both correctly identify it for what it is, then we can, we can proceed. Right? So you understand the importance of this and why it comes first? Okay. And by the way, this, um, this was systemized uh, later by ancient philosophers and scholars. But they didn't invent this. This is how, this is how you go through life. When you're born as a child, you are not asking complex questions. You are not speaking to your parents in a disrespectful way or anyway, right? What you do as a child, the first couple of years of your life, you are a sponge. You are just downloading data. That's it. You're like, what does hungry mean? What does thirsty? Mom, dad, sister, brother, right? That's all you do. Babies are like just downloading data. But around the age between seven and nine, depending on the family, I suppose, they, have now, they now have a database that they can start processing. They're going to start asking questions. Why is the sky blue? They'll start asking things about Santa. How's that fat dude get to every fucking house on one night? <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Right? They, they want to make sense of the knowledge they've acquired. 
they need an understanding. They start to, it happens automatically. This process is natural. I would say our culture impedes with this process of nature, but later, another seven years go by, then there are probably 14 in the U.S. where I'm from. It's like the beginning of high school, so you know everything, right? And you're telling your parents how much you know, how smart you are, right? This is the phase we automatically go into. You're no longer asking questions. You're telling your parents, I know this, I know that. Of course, it's all wrong. But why is it wrong? Because there's a problem either with the processing or with the inputs. And we live in a culture that is constantly manipulating and changing and yeah, what the terms we use and the language we use. It certainly happens in this profession, right? If any of you are familiar with that. This, I think, is key. Understanding is what's missing. While this liberal arts is concerned with correctness. This liberal art is concerned with truth. And this liberal art is concerned with effectiveness. So my writing's horrible. Might be the final. So we've already determined why this is important, right? When we get here, we're no longer concerned if the term is correctly used or not. We're looking for contradictions. Can these two statements be true simultaneously or not? This is really the linchpin of the whole thing. It's e Knowledge is not power. You hear that all the time, knowledge is power. Bullshit. Knowledge is easy to acquire, especially now. I get knowledge in a moment's notice with these new smartphones, right? But how do I know if that knowledge is true? How do, I, how do I know if the statements and claims made based on these definitions is true? Then I need a systematic, reproducible way to critically analyze that stuff. And that's where this comes in. And this form of epistemology is active. It is not passive like your emotions and your observations. Observation will get you a lot of this, but it will never take you further. Does everyone follow me so far? I see very many heads in there. All right, I'm gonna go forward anyway. This, and uh, of course you know, deduction and induction, deductive reasoning and inductive reasoning. There's no different than mathematics. This is very, uh, kind of an analytical process. This has nothing to do with your feelings. This is reliable when studied and used properly, just as arithmetic, algebra, trigonometry, calculus are all reliable. Re they don't change based on how you feel about addition or subtraction today or tomorrow. It's always the same. It's reliable, repeatable, reproducible. It's very much the same with logic. And we won't get into it today because I don't have like three days with you. But much like arithmetic, where you have addition, subtraction, division, multiplication, logic has the same thing. Conditional, biconditional, conjunction, disjunction, negation. These are the basic operators of logic. 
And if you don't know what those are or how to apply them, you're always going to answer much like Jack honestly did. Thank you. It's, it's how you feel. If you don't know what those are and you're not using them, then you're making your judgments based on emotion. So when you decide if something's true or false, it's because you either like that lecturer, you like the book you read, it felt good to you. It was always an appeal to emotion. Is anyone frightened by that? Because you should be. I am all the time. So unless you know what those are and you're willing to take this on, you will always be a predator or you'll always be the prey. And there are plenty of predators. There are plenty of people who do know that. And there are plenty of people who will appeal, uh, appeal to your sense of emotion, especially as young chiropractors who are scared. How do I start a business? What do I do? Blah, blah, blah. And they're going to sell you their techniques. They're going to sell you their coaching. They're going to sell you this. And I'm not saying they're all bad. I, I buy a lot of them. I have bought a lot of them. I can't say they were all good. But I've got some good ones. But how are you going to decide? Trial and error, like I used to do. Or do you think it's a good idea to learn a little bit of psychological self-defense? We were talking earlier with that, yeah. Yeah, physical self-defense, very popular right now. Everyone's taking all these uh, courses on how to fight and all that. But what good is that when we determined earlier that the quality of mind is what comes first? Quality of mind, that's the quality of your life. Not how good you know Taekwondo, Krav Maga, or whatever, some physical self-defense, but how about your intellectual self-defense? Does this make sense to anyone? Mm -hmm. You find it interesting? Or did you think I'd be up here talking about technique and uh, philosophy? Good? Okay, so knowledge isn't power. What personal power is, is my opinion, is the combination of these two. That's a, a, if you want to be empowered personally, then not only do you have a good knowledge base, you understand what you know. You understand what you know. That is very self-empowering. It is good to be certain. You, you'll become very confident. You will not be prey to many predators. If you want influence, then I would suggest you study this as well. There's maybe something I should say. I'm not a very good speaker, but rhetoric is concerned with effectiveness. It doesn't mean you need to have any knowledge or any understanding, but if you're a good speaker, you could be a great politician, right? Because most of them are morons, but they're really effective, aren't they? They know how to sell their ideology. And that goes equally in our profession. No matter what side of this split and the fighting that you happen to be on, both sides have a lot of people that are really good at this. Equally in this profession, we have a lot of people that are really good here. They know all the scientific studies. There's some that know all the green books. And both are great. It's nice to know a little bit of history, a little bit of philosophy. It's nice to know a lot of science. Both are really good. But I would say they're equally worthless 
without a freaking understanding of it. That means whoever has all that knowledge has simply passively accepted it. And then they pass it on to the students. That's why I'm not up here talking about science or the green books. I could care less about either. I do care about the quality of your mind, and I know what you need to do about it. Whether you do or not, that's up to you. And I, I don't think you're going to many seminars or hearing many speakers or have many instructors who are talking to you about this. And I really, at the end of this, I hope this is what interests you the most. For the quality of your life, quality of your profession. And that's only going to come by focusing on the quality of your mind. <clears throat> I'd like to talk a little bit more now, if, if there are no questions about this. Ah, yes. You can ask, you can ask oh, right. So, if you want to improve your input and your knowledge, you can read a book, right? Or download or yeah. So, how can you improve your processing power? Exactly. Oh, good, good. Yeah, this is, like I said, this is very passive, right? This, the best is, um, I can actually send you a couple websites. The best is study logic. No different than if I were to write arithmetic up here and you'd ask, how do I get better at uh, math? Well, take courses, right? That's the, let me define this real quick. This, this may answer your question better. The liberal arts are very different than the utilitarian arts. This is what separates them. The utilitarian arts or servile arts are cutting hair, being a plumber, an electrician, a carpenter, an architect, a chiropractor. You provide a service, maybe a dancer or a painter, right? You do something, and you get typically get paid for it, and the product of that art is transitive. The liberal arts are intransitive, meaning the carpenter saws the wood. Right? I'm doing something to an external object. Intransitive means what begins in the agent ends in the agent for the benefit of the agent. But the utilitarian and servile arts are for the benefit of someone external. Does that make sense? So the liberal arts are purely for you. And typically, unlike the utilitarian or servile arts, where you get paid if you're good at those, the liberal arts, you typically pay a teacher or scholar, you take philosophy courses, or you engage in an online course on logic, and I would strongly suggest you study symbolic logic. That's where I would start to answer your question. But don't expect it to be that you'll get paid for that. Right? Oh man, I'm really good at this. I'm going to get paid for it. Probably not. But it will pay you in ways that you can't imagine. It's to your own benefit. It is intransitive. So it's like the, the flowers in the garden there, the flower blooms. But the carpenter saws the wood. Does it make sense? A little bit. See, when the flower blooms, it's for the benefit of the flower. When the tree grows, it's for the tree. It's intransitive, that action. It does not go outward. Does it make sense? A little bit? Or have you had more beers than me? Mm -hmm. I'm just like, 
There are some really good books on basic logical reasoning, induction reasoning versus deductive reasoning, like light introduction into deductive reasoning and symbolic logic. They're really helpful with some really down to earth examples. So getting a hold of a proper book. Yeah. Good starting point. It, it's a, this, I would say this is a very autodidactic process. You, it's self-learning. I would say that the best is self-learning. But you, you could find a teacher. Yeah. Just uh, two questions, sir. The, in relation to the I think, therefore I am, yeah. uh, isn't the problem with that that therefore your existence is correlated or related to the degree of your thoughts? So to the degree that you think less, therefore you become less. So people that are automatically high-level thinkers automatically become more than people that are mentally you know, ill-conditioned. I wouldn't say that they become, but they have the opportunity. That's different, right? It's not automatic, like, hey, I'm a better thinker, so I become a better person. A better thinker has a better opportunity, whether that's actualized or not. But, you, but I am is, you're talking about existence. Yeah. So existence means, you know, your being. So you're saying you're even more or less of a being to the degree to which you can think. Sorry, you, here we have to start with, what's your definition of existence? So now we're going to start a huge... Uh, yeah, I know, that's why, but uh, yeah, it'd be tough for me to answer that question without your definitions. Uh, and then, you know, what is your definition of truth? Because I understand, obviously I agree with you completely about no, no emotion and so forth, yeah. but, you know, obviously the world is so complex, there are so many things that we do not understand, um, man is fallible, so we have a lot of things that we can come. So you can come up with, you can feel certain about so many things, but tomorrow they can be disproven or so forth. Yeah. So you know, obviously feelings are not one component of it, but there must be something said about the subconscious mm -hmm. and about your gut instinct as well. So to rely purely on um, a methodolog methodology, methodological approach that relies purely on reasoning, wouldn't you be missing other components? But I'm all for reasoning and logic. I'm just yeah. saying, for me, it's only one piece of the puzzle. Yeah, for me too. Okay. But I've just started. And uh, to answer and to answer your first question about what is my definition of truth, well, that's very simple: a principled statement that conforms to reason and supported by evidence. Truth, principled statement conforms to reason, supported by evidence. And it's good. That's a. By the way, that's a great question to ask. Imagine you don't know what the definition of truth is. How can you ever find it? That's, so, again, how brilliant was that question? How do you define truth? That's where we should start. If you want to know what the truth is, you want to understand the truth, well, how do you even define it? How many people, if, if he were to ask any of you that question, how do you define truth? Would you answer it just like I did? Or as certain as I am? Have you thought about that? See, because what I see right now, if I can go off on a tangent, what I see is a lot of people saying, well, that's your truth. At my truth. Well, that, the truth doesn't change based on the observer. Perspective does, opinion does, beliefs do. But we have a different definition for truth. That, that, I hope that's clear, right? That, that always confused me, how some people think the truth, well, you don't, it doesn't exist. Yet those same people can tell me that lies exist. That makes for a very, just a moment, that makes for a dangerous world where we see the possibility of deception, but truth, hmm, maybe it does exist, maybe it doesn't. That's a very grim reality, I think. 
that's a bit. Yeah, it's good. If so, I can move forward or not. So, would you say that those liberal arts, they're more for self, it's like to fuel your own mind, right? Yeah. And the, to be able to connect and communicate with a person, like an everyday person or a patient, yeah. you, would you say that the, those you, what did you say, utilitarian? Utilitarian arts, yeah. Utilitarian arts are more the feeling and the emotion, because there's a lot of people that will walk into your door that don't have this understanding or knowledge or if we are on this mental level yeah so you can't connect with them if you don't if you come from just a mental space right i think i know what you're saying and it makes sense uh the utilitarian arts not i wouldn't say that's emotion um i'll get into emotion too because i'll say when I, whenever i discuss this with people this one thing always comes up <laughs> are you being dismissive of emotions and how important they are no and I will get to the role they play. But it's just like in anything, a hammer is to hit a nail. It's not to saw wood, right? So emotions do have a very critical role in our lives. It's just not the determiner of truth. Like the gentleman at the back, reason and logic is the most effective way of determining truth. Emotion serves us in other ways. But when you're using it inappropriately, it w it's likely going to cause problems. But that's the same thing with the mind, if the mind is controlling your emotion, the other way around, right? Ooh, my, yeah. um, we'll get into that. Yeah, I have, I've I'm going to try it with you guys. I wrote something out to see how it goes. It's in my notes, first time ever. But um, what you were saying about communicating to your clients, right? Because they may not be where you're at, right? And you talked about communicating to them. Yeah. Well, it's really dependent upon... Um, your expertise in the art of rhetoric. I know some brilliant people that are very knowledgeable and incredible reasoners, and they have an understanding that uh, it's almost comparable to none. But, oof, I, I'm probably one of them, right? In fact, I just gave you a great example of poor communication, the word but. It's hard to influence people or lead them along or show them your understanding, your knowledge, or um, whether it's correct or incorrect, true or false. Staying in agreement with someone is the only way to really move forward. Right? The moment someone knows there's disagreement, then they're, they're already in defense mode. Yeah. Yeah. And the surest way to put someone in defense mode is to say, but... Because whatever I say after that is in disagreement with you. Yeah, but I've worked. I've been in the Netherlands for ten years, and I gotta say, I think it's almost like a disease there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yamar, yeah, is it? Yeah, but yeah. I call it the Yamarzik yeah, or the Yeah, but disease. Uh, so it's the Dutch way of like kindly agreeing with you. Yeah, I totally agree with you, but. I disagree with you. Yeah. Right, so it's like just a gentle way of disagreement. But it's certainly no way to influence. And by the way, I am certainly no expert here. This is not my uh, field of expertise in no way. I would recommend, like, uh, if you're interested in how to better communicate to your clients, uh, Martin Harvey is a fantastic uh, coach for that. Right? Um, and the, God knows there's plenty of people in our profession, knowledge, Producing studies, uh, whether it's the philosophy or the science, man, the, the profession is very rich here. You know, we're abundant in that. 
And another thing too, back to emotions, man, this profession is certainly not lacking in compassion and feelings. I mean, we have plenty of that, right? I would say more so than many other healthcare practitioners. Chiropractors really do, in my opinion, they care a lot. That's just my opinion. And I think we're very abundant there, almost to our detriment sometimes. That's just my opinion. <clears throat> okay, so I just want to quickly talk if we're kind of cool with that, I guess. Hmm. At least we agree reason and logic is a, at the very least, we agree reason and logic is a better indicator of truth than emotions. Uh, and not yet. We're not going to dismiss emotions yet. They're important. They just we, we haven't defined their role yet. We haven't defined their role. Uh, but I quickly want to talk about, uh, and this is just my experience. You can correct me if I'm wrong. This is, this is just my experience. What I see in the profession uh, is that this split has been called, at least this is uh, the circles I'm in, uh, mechanistic versus vitalistic. Do I hate hearing that? <laughs> it is so wrong. It is so, like, just by the etymology of those words, it is ridiculous. And the more we use the mechanistic versus vitalistic, the more that's said, the more someone's labeled one or the other, you're just propagating the division. That's all you're doing. Because I can prove to you right now, by the etymology of the word, that every single chiropractor, whether they agree with it, whether they don't agree with it, whether they want to fight it or they embrace it, I don't, I don't care. But the word vital, vitae, alles, and we already know from earlier, right? Liberal, al, alles, Greek meaning of or pertaining to. Vitae means life, of or pertaining to life. So unless you're treating, adjusting, or whatever you call what you do, unless you're doing it on corpses, you're all vitalistic, okay? Now, I understand why some people have an aberration to that word, I, and, and I'm going to talk about that, because I actually agree with it a little bit. But the, the, the truth is, every chiropractor, everyone that does something with a living person, is vital. what you're doing is vitalistic. Unless, of course, like I said, you're, you're um, toggling uh, corpses at the morgue. But I don't know anyone doing that, because they don't pay. Um, but, uh, and if you're one of the like spiritualist extremists too, like um, some of, the, yeah, I don't know if that's a good. Everyone's vitalist, right? What we do is very mechanical, but it has a vitalistic effect. If it didn't, you'd be doing it on rocks. You'd be doing it on corpses, right? So th this, these terms are misnomers. They're not even real. It's, it's, such a, it's just a way to fight and split each other, which I, I think if you're like me, I'm just tired of it, right? <clears throat> what I've done is I've redefined, for me, just for me, you don't have to agree, I've redefined this schism because uh, the mechanistic, vitalistic, hey, we're, both, we're all mechanistic, we're all vitalistic, we're both of those, every one of us. If you don't think you're mechanistic as well, and what do you do? You don't touch your patients? Do you, you, you treat them over the phone? Or on the quantum? Uh, I've heard some, yeah. How are you treating your clients? You touch them, right? So it's very mechanical. But it's also vitalistic because they're alive, right? So let's not use those words. But they're, 
but there is a there is a division. So shouldn't we define it first? And then maybe we can understand it. So I would say this again, just my opinion. What I see is life, because that's what we do. We, our patients are alive, clients are alive, practice members, whatever you want to call them. Trying not to trigger anybody here. If they're all alive, and life consists of matter and intelligence, right? Then the real division in this profession is the materialistic extreme that holds matter on a pedestal and requires science to understand it and describe it, which is great. I'm totally, I'm totally down with that. There's also the intelligence, which is non-material, and it's hard, you know, so we need, we need to reason about it. You know, we, we require the tools of philosophy to understand this thing, right? Because we can't put it on scales, we can't measure it, so it requires logic. So we have matter and intelligence. And so I, what I call these is the materialistic extreme. And they put the matter on the, it's everything to them. To the extremists, I, I hope there's no extremists here. Many of us probably fall on one side or the other of the spectrum. But the extremist is someone who's just not listening to anyone in between. Okay, that's what I'm talking about now, before anyone takes offense. Okay? So the materialistic extremist and the spiritualistic extremist. And I think both these people really have a lot of knowledge, maybe, about what they're talking about, whether it's true or not, I don't know. But they both possess a lot of knowledge. I'm talking about the extremists now. And they both got a lot to say about it. But they're missing this. Because if they had this, they would listen to one another. They could understand one another. They could share concepts with one another. They could share ideologies with one another. But what we really have is these two extremists who understand why they do what they do, why they continue to fight, why they must attack others. I can't answer that question with the liberal arts or with the quality of the mind. To answer that question, we have to get into psychology, emotions, identity, right? And that's touchy and difficult. And please don't throw anything up here at me as I talk about it. Um, I wrote down some examples, some that, um, from both sides of this extreme. Some examples that uh, just don't quite make don't quite make sense. And these are the things I wish when I was a student or when I just graduated that someone had told me about this stuff or explained it to me in a little, a little bit deeper. So I wouldn't fall prey to the very, I'll just write these up here. Spiritual extreme and the material extreme. And I will be equally critical of both. <clears throat> but here, this can be very romantic. Romantic cliches. Yeah, I'm, there's a lot of contradictions there. Here, same thing. This gives you the feeling of certainty and rationality, right? 
they're just feelings, like Jack said, right? Feelings. Which side you end up on depends on which side appealed to your emotions. Unless, of course, you're using this. How many of you are already familiar with the five operators of logic? If not, then the reason you're on one extreme or the other is likely because one of them really appealed to your emotions and how you were raised and how how you hold on to your identity. What identity are you trying to have? Do you want people to see you as very rational? Do you want people to see you as a, a spiritual divine healer? Your identity is going to define which of those extremes you fall on, or at least which end of the spectrum you gravitate towards. Okay, no one's throwing anything up here yet? That's good. <clears throat> which one should I talk about first? Examples. Why would you put BJ Palmer? I wouldn't put him up there because I never met him, never spoke with him. But I'm going to give you some of the contemporary, plus he was... He's not alive today. The people that are espousing this and espousing that are alive today. And I don't want to talk about the people. I want to talk about the principles and concepts that they espouse. Right? Like when I walk away from here today, maybe some of you, emotionally, well, I don't like that guy. That means what he said is not true. Some of you are like, well, I like him, so what he said was true. You're not using logic. You're it's based on emotion. You don't like my shirt, my sweater? Fuck that guy. <laughs> I care less about the people. I care about the principles and the concepts. I care about reason. So I wouldn't put him anywhere. Where would I put his ideas? And then if what idea? What statement? That's what I would ask. I would not put a person anywhere up there. I don't want to attack anyone, and I don't want to trigger anyone. But I do want to talk about how you're using your mind. Is, is that fair? In response to your question. So, is there a preference? Which one should I criticize first? Okay, I'll start left to right. These are just some I wrote down. Some that, like, uh, where I find issue. If you don't find issue, great, but I do. And I find issue based on reason, not on how I feel. Because I love evidence. And this, this extreme certainly identifies itself, like with much of your faculty, as evidence-based. And evidence is great. I think you guys have some, probably some really good staff here, great lecturers, and they mean the best for you. But you always have to ask, are they using this? Or are they just like the most recent victim of grammar and rhetoric with no logic? They heard something, they felt good, and I'm gonna share it with the students, and I'm right conviction bias, because I'm so convinced of it. Right? I'm all about evidence. And that's how they identify themselves. What I don't like is how the spiritualist extreme identifies them and diminishes them and calls them names, mechanists, reductionists. And they, they just want the, they want the best for the profession. They want it to be associated with rationality. They don't like it to be associated with irrationality. Now how they go about doing that is where I take but I know where they're coming from. I, I understand where they're coming from. That's so why I, I don't dislike or have anything against these people or those people. Or their principles. Actually, I do have something against their principles. It's the people I don't have anything against. 
Uh, I've only wrote down four examples. I'll go over those real quick. If I can read my writing, it was on a shaky plane. Uh, okay, one of the popular ones. Uh, typically, they'll, the, uh, one of their arguments against a, a style of practice is that's not ethical. Whether it be high volume or open adjusting, whatever it is, whether you're into that or not into that, it's not ethical. Well, define for me what ethics is. What's not ethical about it? Please define ethics before you say something is not ethical. It's not moral. What do you mean? See, when I got my degree in philosophy, I did not specialize in logic, although I do love it, but my specialty was in ethics. And I'll give you a quick overview of what is ethical and not ethical. Having sex with someone with their consent, is that ethical? Yeah. Without their consent, is that ethical? Taking someone's life, taking your phone from you, you're recording me right now, without your consent, is that ethical or not? Consent, voluntary, that's what's ethical. If someone walks into your office and they agree to, be, to take care in your office and it's open bay or high volume, did you force them by gunpoint in there? Then there's nothing unethical about it. This is just a red herring. I don't like it, so I'm going to call it unethical. I've given it a name that you now associate with. It's bad, evil. Unethical is evil. Right? But what is unethical about it? As long as that client's in there with consent, there's nothing unethical about it. So I find that, I disagree with that principle. Not attacking people, just that principle. Second, there was recently, uh, and I don't blame them here, I actually understand where this is coming from. It's the vitalism. There was a recent article in Canada, something like that, about uh, vitalistic chiropractors or vitalism is the gangrenous portion of the profession, something like that. Have you, any of you read that article? Well, there's a lot of people in this extreme that condemn the word vitalism or vitalistic or vitalistic practice. Well, I shouldn't have to get too far into that. We've already talked about the etymology of the word. Every one of these people in this extreme is equally a vitalist. The reason they don't like that word, the reason they want to be disassociated with it, the reason they want to destroy that word and blame the word is because... This side uses it inappropriately. This side uses many words in the profession inappropriately because they don't understand what they know. They talk about words like innate intelligence, if they even say intelligence. Sometimes they just say innate. My innate speaks to me. My innate does this. They say a lot of irrational things. It's only normal that someone who loves the profession doesn't want to be associated with irrationality. So, what do they do? They react irrationally. And they throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right? I love this, these people. They, they also love the profession. Right? Both sides have passion. 
And because their love of the profession, they want to see it go for, forward. They don't like it being associated with irrational talk, irrational speech. But that doesn't mean that those words like the S word and innate intelligence and all the other stuff, vitalism, that doesn't mean those words don't have a meaning and it can't be understood, but they're not concerned with understanding it either. They don't understand it and they misuse it and they want to be disassociated with those people so they equally condemn the words that are used by them. That is an irrational reaction because they don't want to be associated with irrationality. Quite irony, isn't it? An irrational reaction because they don't want to be associated with rationality. Ah, I love it. <clears throat> but you got remember, their intention is good. They have the best of intention, just like everyone on that side, too. Uh, this, is, this is one of the worst, right? This side feels it's okay to redefine the words they want. Cherry picking. They're fine with redefining the, the word chiropractic or the profession and its objectives. <coughs> no problem. We don't like it. We're gonna ch that one will change. But those, the words they're using, like the S word, that needs to go away. Let's not try to understand the word. That word needs to be eliminated. Innate intelligence, that needs to be eliminated. We can't think about it. We can't understand it. We can't change it. We can change the, these words that we like that suit us. These, they're doing things that suit, uh, suit them politically, that benefit them politically. And all for, <laughs> all for good reason. Good intentions, poor execution because lack of understanding. I'm gonna move on to the spiritualist extreme. And this one's fairly easy. I've been talking about it quite a bit. And these ones disturb me the most. And by the way, the majority of my friends, circles, colleagues, they're on this end of the spectrum, sort of. I, I, I understand these people the best and will stand shoulder to shoulder with them in terms of rationality, although both sides lack reason. And the real problem is the people I hang out with, the groups of friends I know, good people. But the majority of them are on this extreme and this is dangerous. And one of the most dangerous, and we already talked about it, was my truth. That's your truth. You cannot put a possessive pronoun before an objective noun. Truth is an objective noun. Perspective is a subjective noun. You can have your perspective, you can have your beliefs, and you can have your ideas. The truth is the truth. Okay? That's why we have that word, to define that, okay? And the truth can be discovered just like you can discover the result of two plus two. You just have to use the logical operators and do truth tables. And you can you, the truth can be found. It can be difficult, too, but it's based on your input. So the misuse of the word truth, which is very dangerous, this uh, actually... Um, leads to moral relativism or solipsism. If there's no such thing as truth, then let's say you'd like to tell me what a bad guy Adolf Hitler was because he killed all these people. So whoa, whoa, that's your truth, man. That justifies everything. When truth becomes subjective, you can justify anything, and that's dangerous. Right? So that's one of the 
uh, one of the biggest offenders on the spiritualistic side. Another one, my innate speaks to me, my innate speaks to you, I hear voices from innate. I, do I have to talk about that one, or is it pretty self-evident? Robin shaking his head, you know. Um, everything happens for a reason. Ooh, man. This one cuts through me hard, man. When cornered or having difficulty in a discussion, the surest way to avoid it, everything happens for a reason. Done. We don't, nothing more to talk about. Nothing to discover, nothing to learn, no exercise, no expanding the quality of my mind. This extreme uses, which is a true, the law of cause and effect is true. Everything does happen for a fucking reason. I have to go to the bathroom because there's a reason, right? Yeah, everything does happen for a reason. But when you use it to end a discussion, that's a cop-out. Everything happens for a reason is actually the beginning of discovery. Damn right, everything does have reason. Let's figure out what it is. Let's think. Let's use the quality of our mind. But they're using it as a form of escapism. Uh, which is something I didn't talk about uh, yet. And I'll just briefly, since we all know the, we're all experts on the nervous system. And all this can be related to the nervous system. Under stress, we have a synthetic stress reaction, right? Fight or flight. I'm sure you studied that, whether you're in your first year or last year. When either one of these extremes is confronted with something that uh, is a threat to their current belief, they're going to react with fight or flight. Typically, this extreme, not always, but mostly, they react with flight. They want to avoid discussion. They want to stay friends. They want to keep the light and love and everything cool on the quantum. They're not into an argument. They want to avoid it. That's why they use phrases like that. Everything happens for a reason. That's your truth. All those are a way to avoid the discussion, avoid an understanding. This side, typically, but not always, uses fight, ad hominem attacks. Aggressive demands, show me the evidence. Well, not that evidence, that one contradicts me. Show me the evidence that I like. Right? They both react synthetically. Is that, I hope that's clear, right? So, this is how, personally, I define this split. Um, and you see it, right? This aggressive reaction, what does it lead to? Authority. The majority of this extreme enters into the political realm, faculty, right? They end up in like a, a very official leadership role. The extremists on this side end up in like a coaching role or guru, like uh, spiz fest, telling you things like chiropractic chose you, you were chosen by chiropractic. How's that feel? Feels good, right? That this profession divinely, with all its magic, chose you. What other profession is doing that? 
only the magical chiropractic, according to the spiritualist extremists. And I know for some of you, if you've heard that and you bought it, it probably sucks to hear what I'm saying right now. That maybe you weren't chosen by chiropractic. But I would hope that it would empower you. That you're not some victim. That you actually, hey, I made a choice. I had data. I processed it. And I took action. I made a choice. I chose to become a chiropractor. That's empowering. But when you have this belief that I don't think, if, if you produced um, biological weapons, yeah, do you go, biological weapon manufacturing chose me. <laughs> you don't do that, right? No. Chiropractic, only profession in the world to do this ridiculous shit. <laughs> and many of you have bought it, and if you haven't, you know someone who has. They feel that they were divinely chosen because they bought it at the seminar. And that's a shame. You should take proud. You should be proud of your decision. You take pride. I, hey, man, I want to be a chiropractor. That's far more empowering. Right? At least I hope you're proud. I am. <clears throat> um, okay. I hope this eraser works. Is it, can I erase this? So you're all busy taking notes. <laughs> Real quick, since I promised, uh, I will talk about uh, emotions a little bit. Because you hear it like uh, from many coaches and gurus and blah, blah, blah. Follow your heart. Follow your emotions. Emotions are what drive you. It's your fuel. Well, I agree with that. Emotion is definitely fuel. Passion is definitely fuel. I don't know if many of you agree. I agree with that. Which makes it hard for me to believe or even consider the idea of following my emotions. They're definitely my fuel. I wake up every morning, go to work, I love my company, I love my team, I love what we do, I love my clients. That passion is what drives me, it's my fuel. But I don't follow it. It doesn't tell me how to take care of my clients. It doesn't tell me how to run my business. So back to the analogy of the, the fuel. The fuel is what drives your car. But do you follow the fuel around? Put it in the car and just sit there and rev the fucking engine. Where's the fuel going to take me? It's not leading you anywhere. You don't follow your passion. You follow your goals with a strategy. And that's when you're going to achieve something. My passion is incredible, though. That's what fuels me every day. I've got lots of it. Um, and I hope I can express it better next time I speak with you. But to follow your passion uh, is another misleading statement that I hope none of you fall for. Because if you do then you won't commit your time to creating a strategy and making goals and achieving what you want. Whether it's for you, or for your clients, or your family, the relationships you have, have a strategy and have goals. The, the passion and your emotion is the fuel. And it is very necessary. Very necessary. And I'm not being dismissive of it. I 
have this little chart because I don't know if you guys would go for it, um, but it was just kind of mapping out a flow chart of um, how this all kind of works. Are you interested or, or is this enough? We're, and today we've had a lot, Travis. Oh, please keep going. Yeah. yeah, are you sure? Yeah. Okay. I came up with this because I think physiology is very easy for us to understand. Physiology. The logic of the physical person, right? Physiology. I think we all understand it pretty easy. And as chiropractors, our understanding of physiology is such an advantage whether we know it or not, and I hope you understand that after this, what an advantage to understand your psychology. This is real wisdom. When you understand a principle or concept, and you can apply that to many situations. So if you understand physiology, the principles, you can lay them over on psychology and better understand your mind. And then may better have a strategy, make goals, study logic if you want. But take this incredible knowledge and understanding. You guys have knowledge and understanding physiology. It'd be a shame if you wasted it and did not apply it to psychology. This is what I'm going to lay out for you now. Okay? There will be a little bit of writing, so uh, bear with me. And the first was physiology, which is the which is matter, material. We're going to relate this to psychology, which is non-material. Okay, or uh, yeah, intelligence, right? you can say body and mind, uh, matter and intelligence, whatever you want. But this is the study of what's physical, this is the study of what's our psyche and our physique. When I was talking about emotions, I talked about active and passive, right? Our active mind and our passive mind. And under the passive mind are feelings. Feelings are passive. Thinking is active. What Rene Descartes did was an active thing. Whether, whether you agree with this conclusion or not, or you have issues with this conclusion, he was thinking. He was actively thinking. He was not reacting to his feelings. Our emotions are just passive. And they're based on what your experiences were before today, and then coupled with the experience you're having now is what creates your emotion and the feeling you're having right now. If you're a master of your mind, you can distinguish that between your active thought and how you're feeling. I'm going to go a little bit further in this. What we understand about physiology, in terms of the nervous system anyway, I'll use a different color made up there. Let's say... This process is passive, right? You're not determining right now what your glucose level is after that beer. It's automatic. You don't think about it. But shaking your head, that was your active decision, right? Well, we also have um, the equivalent to that in psychology. And that would be what we just spoke about. Thinking. Feeling. These, these passive systems, which typically when I bring all this up, people always get triggered emotionally. Like, yeah, but my feelings are so important. Damn right they are. Because 
Is the autonomic nervous system not important to your physiology? I'd say it's pretty freaking important, right? Really important. And it reacts differently to stress and if it's in a no-stress environment. Same with our feelings. Someone tells you, Travis, your talk sucked. Oh, stress. Right. Or I disagree with you. Or something, right? Or feelings. Someone in your family dies. Someone breaks up with you. Whatever. Car wreck, whatever. Chronic stress, acute stress. What happens is, physiologically, we activate either the sympathetic or the parasympathetic. So far, so good. No, no one's disagreeing with this, right? The physiology. You're all experts in it. You don't just know it. You understand it. And when this stress hits, that stress is either within our limits of adaptation or it exceeds our limits of adaptation. Correct? It's one or the other. So within... Very much the same here, right? I'll say when I'm under stress, uh, my girlfriend leaves me, she'd be crazy. I don't know why she would do that. I would have a reaction. Okay? No stress. Inside or outside the limits, right? Because just like I have physiological limits, don't people have psychological limits? Isn't there only so much you can take? Like the nagging from my girlfriend? So it's either within limits or outside the limits. So far, so good. Physiology, clearly know it and understand it. You're all experts in it. That didn't take long. I think after the first year, probably, right? I imagine. <clears throat> what happens when we are outside those limits? Well, I wrote this backwards in my book. But when we are inside the limits, we adapt, we become stronger, and we change. I know I'm not a good writer, so I'm sure. If it's outside our limits, we develop a, you could say the S, S word, but let's just say pathology. <coughs> yeah, pathology. If you adapt, then that gives you an opportunity to 
take action, do something different. Right? Here it's very much the same. If it's outside your limits, outside the limits of your psychology, your psychopath. No, you have a pathology of the psyche, of the psyche right? It can be very traumatic. Often occurs a compartmental, compartmentalization of the mind to deal with the trauma. Right? But if it's within the limits of adaptation, then you've been given something. You've been given the opportunity to adapt. You can adapt. You're not the guy to ask about spelling, but I think that's wrong. Or no, maybe you are. It's your brother that's told it. Then you have the opportunity to adapt. And you can think. You can change, right? Just like you can physiologically. If it didn't kill you or it's not killing you, you can adapt and make different choices. But you have to be you have to be active. You have to take action. You don't wait for some gift to fall from the heavens. It's your choice. You have to take responsibility. You have the ability to respond. Responsibility. It's very much what is true for physiology is true for psychology. It's just often so difficult for us to understand because it's we can't measure it, we can't weigh it. It's difficult. But because of your incredible understanding of physiology, you have all the principles that you need to better understand your own mind. Okay? Um, that's, that's really all I have today. I just before I go, <clears throat> if if there's one thing you leave with, um, and what I th if you love the profession like I do, and, and you is to not get angry at any of the extremists. Your faculty and staff want the best for you. Your parents want the best. Did your parents always make the best decisions? Probably not. But the, it, at the time, they thought they were doing the best for you. Your faculty and staff think they're doing the best for you. You want the best for you. And if you want the best for this profession, then I would recommend that you invest your time and your energy more in the quality of your mind than in the quality of your reputation. Stop investing time and energy in what people think about you putting the right filter on your Instagram or saying the right words to your colleagues and friends so they like you. Be, be, be a person that uh, has a high quality of mind and then people will respect you. And more importantly, you'll respect yourself. Thank you. Wow. Powerful stuff, right? As you can tell from the claps just there, the lecture theatre was full of people who were all engaged and captivated, and that was without the use of any music or videos, it was just purely from the quality of what Travis was saying. It was actually really good when this talk happened, as it was quite early on in the academic year, so for the rest of the year at the talks, people were really taking critical thinking a lot more seriously, and you could tell from the questions that, that people were asking, they were looking to understand what the speakers had to say, and not just taking it for face value, which was really inspiring. So I'd like to thank Dr. Cochrane for coming and giving that talk and for letting me use the talk on this podcast. 
Coming up next, we've got Dr. Tina Jurgensen, who's going to be speaking about women in chiropractic. That episode will be released on Monday, the 11th of May, and that one will actually be produced by our new co-host, Dr. Bradley Taylor, who is one of my best mates in college. Him and I were both Insight Club members for two years, so he was quite a key player in making the club what it was. He is a South African legend who loves chiropractic. So finally, there may be a bonus episode coming out before next Monday, introducing you to Brad and me as teammates. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Thanks for tuning in and being curious, and I'll see you soon. Sometimes it feels like I'm all alone. Sometimes life just ain't enough. to have somewhere to go so why